What's the significance of a meal? They can be very insignificant. They can be as quick and forgettable as a quick bite of tuna fish eaten with a plastic fork right out of the container. A quick, forgettable meal to get you through the day. But meals can also have tremendous significance. Think of President Trump's meal with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un as the two leaders met for the first time back in 2018 to negotiate and de-escalate tension over North Korea's nuclear program. Chefs worked hard to incorporate food that, that food items that were both Korean and American. And the menu featured things like soy sauce braised codfish, honey lime drizzled octopus, and some, also some good old vanilla ice cream. But the meal itself was meant to send a message. It was saying that these two nations, through their leaders, were seeking to build a peaceful relationship and come together. Meals can have a great significance. Well, Christians have a meal that's, that has great significance to us, the Lord's Supper. And in this symbolic meal, we remember our Savior. This was first instituted by Jesus himself in the city of Jerusalem as he gathered with 12 of his closest followers on the night of the Passover around the year 33 AD. And over 2,000 years later, Christians in every continent still gather to celebrate this meal they call the Lord's Supper. It's simple, and yet it's significant. And this morning, we're going to take a break from our study that we've been, as we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to take a break, and we're going to just do a topical message this morning on the Lord's Supper. What's the meaning of this meal to Christians? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? How should we approach it? Because this is a topical sermon, we'll be looking at several different passages of Scripture, so keep your Bible handy. We'll be flipping around to some different texts. But the main idea, the main theme of our message this morning is this. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the sacrificial love that unites us with God and with one another. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the sacrificial love that unites us with God and with one another. So that's the main idea, and we're going to unpack that with two main points. And after that, we'll look at some implications of what that means as far as how we approach the Lord's Supper, how we, and who should partake of it. So our first main point is that the Lord's Supper symbolizes the sacrificial love that unites us with God. It's a meal, as we, as we look to the scripture, it was a meal that first alienated us from God, that drove a, a wedge between humanity 
and our Creator. By eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve joined in Satan's rebellion against God. And we, as Adam and Eve's children, we ratify their decision to turn against God and to be gods to ourselves whenever we eat the forbidden fruit of sin in our sinful choices, in our desire to to follow self over God, we follow in the footsteps of our first parents, Adam and Eve. All of us are, are guilty. We've consumed the pleasures of sin, of pride and resentment against our Maker. We've indulged in the fantasy of lust or the sinful craving of discontentment or covetousness. All of us, in all of our different ways, have fallen short of God's glory and have sinned. And our own guilty consciences confirm the truth of Scripture that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God had warned Adam and Eve that they would surely die if they sinned. And And this was and is the penalty for rebellion against God. This meal... You know, as we eat food, it's meant to nourish and sustain our lives. But this meal that Adam and Eve ate brought them death. It was like eating poison. It brought them physical death and it brought spiritual death into the world. And it even brought eternal death in hell. It was a meal that first alienated us, alienated us from God. When God moved in love to graciously undo that alienation and reconcile His relationship with us, He gave a meal to remind us of the cost of that reconciliation, of the sacrifice and the sacrificial love that reconciles us and unites us to God. In order to understand the Lord's Supper, which is that meal, and how it symbolizes God's reconciling love, we need to first understand the Passover, which the Lord's Supper replaces and fulfills. So we read earlier in our, in our sermon, we read Exodus 12 and how the Passover was instituted for the people of Israel. And it was this Passover meal that defined God's people in the Old Testament. In the Passover meal, the Israelites remembered that they were slaves in Egypt. And they commemorated God's deliverance of them on that night. The night of the first Passover, it was, it was really the defining moment in their nation. You know, as Americans, we celebrate the 4th of July. Well, for the Israelites, it was the Passover meal. That was their last night as slaves in Egypt, and the next morning would dawn with freedom and deliverance. On that night, God would pass through the land of Egypt and he would strike dead all the firstborn of of every, every family in Egypt, both of man and beast, as we read about. But God told his people if they wanted to escape this judgment, this plague, to sacrifice a lamb and to mark their doorways with its blood. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence the name Passover. I will pass over you when I see the blood, and no plague will befall you to destroy you 
when I strike the land of Egypt. So why, why did God spare the Israelites? Not because they deserved to live, and the Egyptians didn't. The Israelites were sinners as well. But the reason God spared the Israelites was because they were covered by the blood of a sacrifice. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Israel was spared because of the sacrifice of another, in this case, an innocent lamb. And this is the context that helps us understand the fuller meaning of the Lord's Supper, which fulfills the Passover. At another Passover, thousands of years later, thousands of years after the exodus from Egypt, a small group of Israelites were gathered together in the city of Jerusalem. And the meal began in the familiar, traditional way, but it soon took a turn that would change everything. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 26. This will be the first passage that we look at this morning. Matthew 26 and verse 26. This is the first Lord's Supper. It's also called the Last Supper of Jesus because this was his last meal with his disciples before he went to be crucified. So read with me Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What happened on that night was significant. This was a sacred feast. This wasn't just an ordinary supper that Jesus gave some extra meaning to. This was the Passover instituted by God himself. No ordinary Jew would dare to come and, and tamper with the meaning of this sacred feast, this Passover. But Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was the God-man, and he authoritatively gives a new meal with new meaning and new significance to his followers. In taking the bread in his hand and saying, this is my body, and the cup and saying, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. In doing that, Jesus is basically saying, I am the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. My body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. As the blood of those Passover lambs would be poured out for the people and, and put on their doorway for them. Now Jesus' blood would be poured out for the forgiveness and the rescue of his people. I am the sacrifice. All those Passover lambs that had been sacrificed in all the ages before were foreshadowing this coming Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. They were foreshadowing another sacrifice whose blood would be the means of saving his people. The scriptures actually call Jesus our Passover Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed. So Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. And the Lord's Supper, therefore, it replaces the Passover for Christ's followers. Now we look back in remembrance of our deliverance. We look back to Christ, to the Lamb of God slain for us, whose death brought us life and freedom from our sin. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, as Christ voluntarily laid down his life, my body broken, my blood poured out, as he gave it to us who believe, this meal gives, in it, Jesus gives himself to his followers. It's a picture of his sacrificial love that caused him to give his very life and blood for us to save us. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the sacrificial love that unites us with God. It was love that caused Jesus to lay down his life for us. And in making this sacrifice, he undid the alienation that began in Eden. The Lord's Supper is a meal of symbolic remembrance. It uses the symbols of bread and wine to commemorate that sacrificial love of Jesus on our behalf. In the account of the Lord's Supper given in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus says of the bread, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says the same thing of the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. So when the Lord's Supper is observed, it's not a fresh sacrificing of Jesus. It's not him being sacrificed all over again, time and time again, as, as some have mistakenly believed. No, it's remembering that once and for all sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me. In saying of the bread and the wine, this is my body and this is my blood, he doesn't mean that the bread miraculously transforms into his literal flesh and the wine into his literal blood so that when we partake of it, we're, we're drinking of his literal blood in a, in a physical way. That's not what Jesus is meaning here. No, the, the bread remains bread. And the cup is not literal blood. It's representing Christ's flesh and blood. It's symbolic. His disciples would have understood this as Jesus sat there right in front of them and, and held out to them the bread. And he's saying, this is my body. They naturally would have taken it as a symbol. He's, he's speaking metaphorically. And it was after Jesus says of the cup, this is my blood of the covenant, that he refers to it again afterwards as this fruit of the vine. In Matthew 26, 29. Jesus spoke of himself using images and symbols often. You know, he said, I am the door. I am the vine. He said, I am the light of the world. But nobody confused Jesus for, being a, for, for trying to mean that he was a, a literal plant or a physical light source, or a, an actual wooden door. They knew that he was speaking with symbols, with imagery, with metaphor. 
with word pictures. And so it is with the bread and the wine. This, this pictures and represents the flesh and blood of Christ given up as a sacrifice for sinners. It symbolizes the love that brings us together with God. The Lord's Supper also reaffirms Christ's love to us. And we, on our part, when we, as believers, partake of the Supper, we renew our commitment to Him as our Savior. Though we've already looked in saving faith to Christ, in the Supper we we look once again to that sacrifice that saved us. You know, husbands and wives, they'll sometimes have a a renewal of their vows, a rededication ceremony. They'll invite their friends and and family and they'll, they'll renew their wedding vows. Now, it's not as though they weren't married before, but they're coming together to recommit. There's something special to them about reaffirming their love and commitment to one another after all these years. In the Lord's Supper, we have Christ's love reaffirmed to us in a tangible way as we receive the symbols that he gave to us. And in the Lord's Supper, we we recommit ourselves to him. We say all over again, I do. You recommit to all he is for you, and you reaffirm that Christ is your Savior. The Lord's Supper is a visible, tangible reminder to us of our Lord's sacrificial love. And the scriptures say it's also a proclamation of his death until he returns. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ died, but praise the Lord, the tomb is empty. Christ also rose from the dead and he's coming back. So the Lord's Supper, you know, it it replaces the Passover, but soon it too will be replaced. It's not something that Christians will perpetually observe. It's anticipating another feast, another feast that we look forward to, the wedding feast of the Lamb. At the Last Supper, Jesus gave his disciples a promise. He said in Matthew 26, 29, He said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the Lord's Supper looks back in remembrance of what Christ did on the cross for us, and it looks forward to that day when we will be with him and again eat and drink with our Savior in person at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When he comes again, those who have believed will be with the lover of our souls, with our Savior Jesus Christ in person, never to be separated again. Well, so far we've been thinking about the Lord's Supper and its, its significance to us vertically, how it unites us to God. But the Lord's Supper is also significant in our relationships horizontally. It symbolizes Also, the love that unites us with one another as believers in Christ. And this is our second point. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the sacrificial love that unites us with one another. 
as Christians partaking of the supper together, it brings us together in the church and symbolizes our unity in Christ as his redeemed people. And the key passage for us to think about here is from 1 Corinthians 10. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there to 1 Corinthians 10. And look with me at verse 16. In referring to the Lord's Supper there, in 1 Corinthians 10.16, Paul writes, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Notice the, the we. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. By sharing this meal together as Christians, as, as the church, we participate together in Christ's sacrifice for us. It was his death on the cross that saved each one of us who believe from our sins. It's because he died that we are saved and reconciled with our God and enjoy all the benefits of the new covenant, including adoption into his family, membership in his, in his family. And as we eat together of the one bread, we're remembering our Savior, not just as individuals, but we're remembering him together as a church, as one body, as Pastor Bobby Jamieson has written about this verse, he says, quote, In the Lord's Supper, because of the fellowship we have with Christ, we also have fellowship with each other. He writes, To receive Christ at his table is to receive all those seated next to you as brothers and sisters. In the Lord's Supper, we renew our commitment to Christ and his people. So the Lord's Supper brings many together as one. Those who participate in the Supper, it's, it's, a visible, it's a visible expression not only of the love that brings us together with God, but of the love that brings us together with God's people, with one another. Now the Lord's Supper is, is one of two ordinances that God gave to the church. And baptism is the other one. So baptism and the Lord's Supper and it's interesting to note that we only ever see the Lord's Supper in Scripture being observed by local church gatherings. That's the only place we see it being observed is in the gathering of the local church. As the local church partakes of the one bread together in the supper, each of the members are brought together as one body. We're, we're bound together by the love we share for our Savior. Now, we may not have much else in common. We may look different and come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. We may have different ethnicities and skin colors, different backgrounds, different parenting styles, different music preferences, and a host of other differences. But around the table of our king, around the family table, all of those things become insignificant. Because what unites us, the blood of Christ, means more than all of those differences combined. 
The Lord's Supper symbolizes the love that brings us together with God and with one another. Because there is one bread, we who are many who partake of it, our one body. Well, with this in mind, how should we approach the Lord's Supper? How should we prepare for a meal with such deep meaning and significance? Let's look at a few implications. For one, if you're not a Christian, the Bible would teach you not to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a meal for believers, those who have trusted Christ. So this is implication number one, if you're taking notes. Salvation first. If you haven't trusted Christ in the first place, you shouldn't take part in a meal that's saying, Jesus is my Savior. Salvation and fellowship with God as your Father and the church as your family is only for those who have come to an end of themselves and turned to Christ for salvation. It's for those who have turned to Christ for forgiveness, forsaking the old ways of sin and selfishness. It's for those who have given up hope of trying to earn God's favor by having their good outweigh their bad and who are relying only on Jesus and his perfect life for us and his death on the cross as the sacrifice to pay for our sins. There's only one door to God's dining room, and that door is Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, please come and talk to me after the service or talk to another church member. We would love to explain to you more about what it means to be a Christian. But let's, let's move on to implication number two. So implication number one was salvation first. Implication number two is membership. If you're a Christian, but you're not joined to a local church, the first thing you ought to be thinking about before taking of the Lord's Supper is committing to the Lord's people. Though in our, our independent and commitment-fearing culture, church membership is often seen as optional. It's not viewed that way in the New Testament. In the Bible, to become a Christian means becoming a member in Christ's body, a brother or sister in Christ's family, a living stone in his holy temple. And all of these images imply a meaningful connection with the church. They all speak of the togetherness and the community aspect of the Christian life. We're meant to be part of a Christian community. To gather together in local bodies and help one another follow Jesus. And God desires his sheep to be together in flocks under the care of biblically qualified shepherds, as 1 Peter 5 talks about. God saves us, yes, as individuals, but he saves us into a family, into a community. And he means us to live out our Christian life in that community with other believers in the local church. And that's where we can fulfill all those one another commands that the scripture gives us. It's where we can pray for one another and exhort one another and encourage and admonish one another. It's where the Christian life is lived out in fellowship with the local church. And the Lord's Supper symbolizes the love that unites the church 
that unites us with one another as believers. The Lord's table brings the many together into one, binding us into one. We're just, we're missing out on what the Lord's Supper pictures and what it's meant to do if we're not united to a local body of believers in any meaningful way. So that's implication number two, membership. Implication number three, examine yourself. How do we approach the Lord's Supper? The Bible tells us. In 1 Corinthians 11, go ahead and turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now the Corinthian church, if you, if you read this passage, they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper by coming, with, coming to the Lord's table not united in love but divided with strife, self-centeredness. They were all looking out for number one. They weren't even sharing all the the bread and the wine amongst each other. Some people were not even getting some. They were just looking out for themselves. There was little or no thought of remembering Christ and His sacrifice. And this spirit of selfishness and division is the exact opposite of what the Lord's Supper is meant to show. Because the Corinthians had turned the meaning of the supper upside down, they turned the meaning on its head and they were they were using it as an opportunity for pride and partiality and selfishness rather than loving worship and fellowship. God was disciplining them. Some of them, 1 Corinthians 11 says, were even weak and ill. Some of them had even died because of the, the way they were approaching God's, the, the Lord's Supper. So we ought to take from this, we should be careful to approach the Lord's table with a proper sobriety and awareness of the purpose of the supper. It's right to take some time leading up to the Lord's Supper to examine ourselves, to confess any sin that, we, that comes to our mind, and trust in God to forgive us. We should recognize that we can't serve two masters, as Jesus said. We can't serve ourselves and live for ourselves and call Christ our master. If our lives are boldly contradicting our claim to follow Christ, then we shouldn't presume to come to the Lord's Supper. We should approach the Lord's table with love for Christ and for Christ's people in the church, not carrying bitterness and strife and prejudice to the meal that remembers the loving reconciliation and forgiveness of Christ. It's Christ's death that unites people to God and to one another. And it lies about the unifying and reconciling power of that gospel, of that love, if you come to the Lord's table harboring resentment and bitterness and broken relationships. The Lord's table is the family table for the church. It's where the church partakes of the one bread and is one body. 
It's about coming together to cherish Christ and to care for one another. It's about embracing Christ. And we can't embrace Christ if we refuse to embrace Christ's people. As one pastor put it, we should be careful that we haven't severed the nerve between love for Christ and love for Christ's people. So prepare for the Lord's table by by reconciling broken and strained relationships within the church, by asking forgiveness to those that you may have wronged. Seek to reconcile before coming. As Jesus taught, you know, if if you are bringing your gift before the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift to the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So prepare for the Lord's table by reconciling and forgiving. Even if that means a hushed conversation during the church service before the Lord's Supper, make things right with others before you come. Heal any breaches in the unity of the body. But I'll I'll say this too. Though we should approach the Lord's table with a proper seriousness and with some self-examination, it is possible to take this too far and become overly introspective. Some might be so fearful of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner that they just avoid it altogether. But this is to miss the whole point of the Lord's Supper. Not to mention, Jesus tells us to partake of it. If we are believers, he says, do this in remembrance of me. But it misses the whole point if we're just always too fearful to even come. Though the Lord's table is a serious time of reflection upon Christ's sacrifice, it's also a joyful and a wonderful time that reminds us that that sacrifice was made for sinners like us. It was made to forgive us of those sins that would keep us away from God and unite us to God. It's a reminder that Christ died and poured out his lifeblood for sinners like us. He died so that sinners could be pardoned and forgiven and have the right to come to God. He left his throne of glory and was nailed to the cross so that we would have a seat at the table of the king. We don't have to be perfect to come to the Lord's Supper. We don't have to examine ourselves perfectly and confess every sin in our lives. If this was the case, nobody would ever be able to come. None of us is perfect, and none of us can perfectly recall every sin we've done. None of us can perfectly see every sin we've committed, let alone confess it. The Lord's Supper, it ought to strengthen and encourage us rather than frighten those who genuinely, who genuinely trust in Christ and, and struggle against sin. This should not be an occasion for just compounding our guilt. If that's the case, we're just, we're, again, we're missing the point of the supper. Yes, we examine ourselves. Yes, we confess known sin. But the Lord's Supper proclaims that in coming to Christ, we're coming to a forgiving Savior. 
who knows the depths of our sinfulness better than we ever will. And yet he still forgives us. The Lord's Supper reminds us that because of his sacrifice, our guilt is gone and our sin debt paid, our punishment taken, and our sins have been forgiven, never to be, never to be brought up again. So how do we come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? By being reminded of, of our need for forgiveness, by examining ourselves, confessing and repenting of any sin that we see, by looking again to the cross where our sin debt was paid and our forgiveness bought in blood. And remembering that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our guilt and reconcile us to God. And our last implication this morning is rejoice. This is implication, our last implication, rejoice. The Lord's Shepherd should be approached by believers in Christ with joy and gratitude. It's for our blessing, our benefit. It's a tangible reminder to us of Christ's sacrificial love, which he demonstrated by going to the cross. It's a reminder that his body and, and his blood he provides for us. He provides salvation for us, not to be earned but simply received. What's the significance of a meal? For the Christian, this meal called the Lord's Supper is eternally significant. It speaks to us of sacrifice, the wounds and the death that brought us life. It speaks to us of being united in eternal love to our God through that sacrifice. It speaks to us of being made a part of a forever family, made up of every nation, tribe, people, and language. It symbolizes the love that unites us with God and with one another in God's family in the church. Let's go to this God in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you that when we ate the meal of death by our sin, Lord, Christ came to remove that alienation, to heal that death, to bring us life at the cost of his own life as his body was broken for us and his blood shed for us to unite us to God to unite us with God's people. Lord God, we pray that we would prepare our hearts well this next week to come and to receive your supper in remembrance of you and looking forward to that day when we will be with you forever. Lord, I pray if there's any here who, who is not united to you through Christ, that they would come in, that they would join the family and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.